Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because, you know, depending on who the guest is, I don't want to completely vibe them out. You don't want to vibe them out? Mm -hmm. Is that not a saying? (laughs) I don't know. Just fucking leave me alone. (laughs) I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And And I'm I'm a writer, writer, but... Welcome to I'm a Writer, but today we have Sarah Lippman. Sarah is the author of the story collections Jerks, out now on Mason Jar Press and Doll Palace. She was awarded an Artist's Fellowship in Fiction from New York Foundation for the Arts, and her work has appeared in the Washington Post, The Millions, Fourth Genre, Slice Magazine, Volume One Brooklyn, Diagram, Squalorly, and elsewhere. She's landed on Wigleaf's Top 50, whoop whoop, and her stories have been anthologized in Mamas and Papas on the sublime and heartbreaking art of parenting from San Diego City Works Press, and forthcoming in New Voices, Contemporary Voices Confronting the Holocaust on Blue Lira Press, and Best Small Fictions 2020 on Sonder Press. Raised outside of Philadelphia, she teaches in Brooklyn, where she lives with her family and co-hosts the Sunday Salon NYC. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Welcome. Goodness, you guys got the unabridged version of that bio. I found it in your in your press release and I was like, maybe I'll edit this down. And then I was like, no, I want all of this in. <laughs> it's too good. Load it up. Yeah. Let her sound like the jerk that she is. There we go. The jerk <laughs> who wrote jerks. Here she is. Um, excellent. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read a small piece from the book, the collection. Um, uh, I'm going to read a flash piece and, um, actually it's a flash piece that has now, um, since inspired, um, a novel project that I'm supposed Mm. to be working on, but really just procrastinating from. Wait, is this, is this Lech? No. So Lech is coming out in October, but this is like, I'm working on this Philadelphia book. Well, Mm. ostensibly working on this Philadelphia book, but I'm not really working on it at all, but nice to pretend like I'm working on it. We're familiar with with that way of working. Um, So we're going to pretend that I'm working on that book and that this is this is the flash piece that inspired that project. Uh, The title is uh, there's a joke here somewhere and it's on me. I mistook the Catholic schoolgirls for friends until I learned my mom paid them 50 cents an hour to pick me up from elementary and walk me home. Knee socks slouched and kilts rolled at the hip. 
Philomena and Therese brought hairspray, brought boys, brought cigarettes. They watched dancing on air from the bus station size black and white in the kitchen while I broke ramen into melamine. When they raided the back cabinet for dusty pints of banana liqueur, one called Blue Lagoon, the hue of 2000 flushes, Holly showed up on her bicycle with a bell shaped like Jesus. Holly switched the dial to Bob Ross and his happy little trees, but money went missing. From there on, it took little convincing. MTV watched me. I watched MTV. Legs, hot for teacher. Sometimes I'd remove the sleeve of condoms from my mother's nightstand and stretch them over the spout, plump and jellied, launch them from her bedroom window. We shared our driveway with a rabbi and his wife. The wife pinned her laundry to an outdoor rack, web bent like an antenna searching for signal, flaunted tablecloths and bloomers, big and white. One night she knocked in cat-shaped glasses to report her asphalt findings, held the splattered remains with tweezers to the light where they shimmered like molted skin. Did my mother know the child she was raising? who I was, the kind of person I'd be, left alone, exposed to elements, how I'd turn out if my mom wasn't careful. My soul was at risk. Someone should keep an eye out. The rabbi's wife offered her services. My mother said, thank you very much. I was nine. By 11, Sally Sellers' family would practically adopt me. In 1984, I had Bruce Springsteen. I had Dancing in the Dark. I lay on my mother's bed, mandala print, drinking Coke from the leader, lips feathered in sour cream and onion. I watched Bruce bop to the beat, side to side, as if to an earlier error, his hand swinging, his hand reaching, his hand ticking toward Courtney Cox, a ruse, of course, but I believed then. I believed in his glance that moment. Hey baby, the outstretched hand, the other wrist doing that little flip, that she had been plucked from anonymity, that a person could be found like that. It was the only happy ending I needed. I watched the denim hug his hips, his groin thrumming, teeth teasing out a bite from his bottom lip. Decades later, I'd learn his song was not about sex, but depression, the two inextricably twined. Bruce would write about this. Demons haunt everyone, even rock stars. Sally's dad looked just like him, dark curls, hooked nose, more Jewish than Jersey. But Saturday mornings after sleepovers, sweaty from his runs, it was easy to conflate, easy to see his arms, cuffs rolled, veins pulsing like a through line, easy to feel his hand, the wink, aching push sorry, achy, ache, pushing against muscle, tugging at bone as if to say, take, save me. We who neither can be saved nor contained. Fingers brushing fingers, step close and touch, easy to get swept in the song and dance on the waxed kitchen floor. Easy now, quiet, before everyone else wakes. Easy to believe he moved just for me. Oh, thank, thank you. you. I'm sorry about my dog. I don't know oh. if you can dog he's barking everybody in my fa- my house is left so he's just gonna suffer through no, this no I loved I, I felt like in in the background he was like yes I love this go mm. that's right he, I think he was totally into it um and I love that he started barking right when you were about to say the word cat okay <laughs> he was like not in my house 
Um, I really love this book. Um, first of all, it's iconic cover. If our listeners out there aren't familiar, you need to go look it up right now. Um, it is incredible. It's just the word jerks in sans serif font, all caps across the top with this amazing (laughs) picture of this, these, I don't know, 1960s folks playing tennis, 1940s, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, um, totally judge the book by its cover, please. Yes, you should. You absolutely <laughs> should. Yes. There is a little bit of tennis in the book. So if you're if that's your thing, go for it. Um the co- the cover is so, so great. But the book itself, I um I just I love how some stories have this almost mosaic quality, like you're building an image from these disparate parts in much as you did in the story you just read. Um, and no real like um, grabbing the reader and saying, look at this. And then this is connect, you know, like no real leading the reader along. It's just sort of like presenting these images, presenting these moments. And at the end, you have this tapestry, this mosaic, um, which I absolutely loved. And then you have these other stories in the book that are, are straightforward narratives, um, still with beautiful imagery, beautiful language. And I I just wanted to, to hear from you, um, about those two different types of stories in this collection and, and, and how you came to, to write them the way that you did. Um, okay. So, so re- real talk, um, yes, this please. book, <laughs> <laughs> like nothing else. Um, so this book is sort of like, it's, um, this is my cheat book. I was supposed to be working on a novel, but mm-hmm. I'm not a novelist. Not that I'm not, not that I'm anything necessarily, but I'm definitely not a novelist. And so, um, you know, I, transgressed on my novel project with short stories because that's I don't know I feel like I mean tell me if I'm wrong but I feel like we all have kind of our natural sweet spot Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and what we sort of gravitate what's sort of comfortable comforting to us and so um when I landed in that murky middle of the novel um I had no freaking idea what I'm doing um (laughs) You're like, I, I need to go where I do know what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And so it would, and you know, and I've always felt like short stories, you know, there's something so gratifying about them. If you can get on top of them and you can get in and get out and, you know, sort of wrangle them in a sense, it's, it's, um, feels so much more manageable. So yes, I mean, so yes, there's a variety of, of length here, right? So there's the flash pieces and then there are longer narratives. And I, I don't know, I think this story kind of dictates that length. Like I always kind of know when I have that, kernel of a short story or the kernel of any narrative going forth I kind of know from the beginning vaguely oh this is going to be this is going to be a longer story oh or oh this is going to be compressed or oh this is fuck this is going to be a novel (laughs) 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 I still have that gut sense right um so that's kind of how this um evolved beyond length what do you think that like the germinating idea for these these more like um like I know I keep saying the word mosaic but I I sat in on a Kathy Fish workshop um at the Cleveland Flash Flash Fiction Festival and it was all about building a story using like a mosaic type um process Mm -hmm. um so I think that's why it's top of mind but like where do you think it comes from to or, or what's happening as you're writing when these these types of pieces are happening versus the the more straightforward narrative pieces. Gosh, I wish I had a clever answer for you. I mean, I, I think maybe you're ta- maybe in terms of time, I feel like a fluidity of time. So I, I don't know. I, 
I feel like I inhabit time that we're in the present, but we're also in the future and the past at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tend to try to capture that on the mm-hmm. page to mm-hmm. some extent, you know, that that's kind of how I approach time, which I guess taps into that mosaic feeling a little bit, um, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't even know that it's so conscious or deliberate. I just sort of am following, you know, when you get sort of a, a seed for a story, um, you know, I think you just have to listen to it. That sounds so sort of woo-woo and stupid, but, no. uh, <laughs> oh, but you know, there's so sense. many, there's yeah. the intrusion of all these other voices all the time, marketplace all the time. You know, there's all these people who want to tell you how to do the thing or, or how the thing can best be or what have you. And I think that um, there's something that you need to preserve, which is just you and that kernel and however it comes out to sort of trust that. And so I write really shitty first drafts, but then, and then I do a, a lot of editing. Um, most of my writing is actually editing, but I still try to preserve that um, sort of the messy kernel of how it came out structurally initially. Mm-hmm. Lindsay, talking about, you know, the ones that some of the stories in the collection where you're, you're thinking of them as maybe more mosaic was one of the ones you were thinking of, let all the rest, restless creatures go the, uh, the wetlands ecology one. I absolutely fucking love that story. And it's one of yeah. the things I want to talk about, but I would say that's one of the more traditional ones yeah. in my mind. Me too. Well, yeah. me too. But it was the, one of the ones where I guess I was thinking there's kind of the alternating timelines mm-hmm. where you are kind of getting an entire history being brought up to the narrative present. Uh, well, there's like the one narrative present timeline and the other timeline is like catching us up on the whole history of the character. But so even there, I mean, even if that, because I do know what you're saying, some of the other ones are a little bit, they're, Almost like they're prose poemy. Sure. And, and obviously, sure. And also lengthwise, obviously, I think contributes to that. But even, even something like Let All the Restless Creatures Go, I feel like has a kind of um, whole, like a narrative whole feeling, uh, like there's a, an opening out in these stories, even for the ones that are a little bit more traditional, a little bit yes. more narrative that, yes. that feels kind of mosaic in a way as well, mm-hmm. where it feels like the world's open out. I love that. Yeah, I love it's not that. a question. I'm sorry, <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> I love that you guys want to talk about that story because actually um, that one nearly landed on the cutting room floor. Oh, you're kidding. Um, that was one yeah, of my favorites. So it's it's the only one that's from a male point of view, right? It's the and only it's one from a male point of view. Well, there were other so okay. So the manuscript again, you know, um, I have no filter whatsoever. But the manuscript came in at I think I submitted it at fifty five thousand. It was mm-hmm. accepted at fifty five thousand. Um, and but Mason Jar's aesthetic is they really they like um, books that are forty thousand or and under. So so that left that meant that I had to cut fifteen thousand um, words from the wow. from the book. So. Um, so, I mean, I absolutely, my editor, Ashley Miller is amazing. I love her to pieces. And um, we were, but we were back and forth about what, you know, what to cut. And um, that story originally, I think it was probably when it was published in Midnight Breakfast, and I think it was maybe close to seven. It was quite long. And, and so um, anyway, it was 
that was that was on the that was on the cutting room floor and I fought for it because I really feel like it's the center. It's sort of the the full in my mind, it feels like the fulcrum of the book and the book sort of hinges around that thesis. And so um, so we put it back in and but then I actually had to trim it quite a bit and to get it down to to get it down to size. Um, but yeah, that one's that's that's one that's near and dear to my heart. So I appreciate you um, highlighting that one. Yeah, it's it's like literally in the center of the book, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's this character who has alopecia. So he's, he's, he's like baby smooth is how I think of him. Mm-hmm. And there's these women in his life, this, you know, peer in his class, his professor and his aunt and mm-hmm. his mother in a much more distant um, role who all sort of like you, like he is what they need him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought it was so clever to, to make him be like, like practically like a blank slate, you know, like he's so smooth that he's, he's, they can just project whatever on him. Um, but then he sort of, he, he, he's so self-aware that that doesn't, um, harm him in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and it does, it's, it's, there's a, you know, a lot of the book is, is about motherhood, um, Mm -hmm. and adolescence and, and very specifically, you know, like female adolescence and, and obviously you know, like motherhood from the perspective of people who can give birth. Um, and so it does, it did feel like a very important center of the book. Um, and I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that rather than me just saying, and this is what I, <laughs> this no, is why. Right. no, I mean, both, well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, as both of you know, once you put a book in the world, it's not yours anymore. So it's actually right. way more interesting for me to hear what you take from it than what my intention is. Right. Cause that's kind of mood at this point. It's kind of, you know, it's up to the reader and, and how they, how they experience the, the story. Um, yeah. I mean, it totally, I know that, I mean, I think the reason why it was added, it was maybe on the chopping block is because it's at, um, you know, it's at, it's at a different tonal register than the rest of the stories for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was really important. That was really important to me. Um, the story, I mean, the extent to which the story is, um, the extent to which the collection as a whole, I should say is, you know, uh, just, you know, largely about, um, about predation in a lot of ways, right? And it's all about, you know, sort of animal instincts and primal instincts and um, and this sort of, uh, this sort of struggle to get uh, through it all. And I, I think that that's, I mean, nobody is, nobody's absolved in this, in this collection. I mean, everybody is sort of, um, my friend, once my one friend says that, she approaches the book like a where's Waldo, you know, like who's the jerk. (laughs) 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 And like, you know, and the, you know, being that we, you know, that, that, that we all, you know, that we all are, but I do think that there's actually, um, I hope at least that there's some, there's some hope, um, to land on even how, even though the last, um, you know, that story is, you know, it's about sort of doom and, you know, predatory forces and extinction pressing on our turtles. But I do think that, you know, we are also all the turtles um, as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's a story about sort of how to live and how to preserve a kernel of hope and dare to love anyway, even if we are also deeply fucked. Um, so um, that was kind of what I was going for there. Mm. One thing I wanted to 
before we leave that story that I just was really struck by is I think so often you see in student work or just stories that don't fully come together for people where they are including whether it be a a medical situation for somebody or some kind of something that is being presented, something that is being othered, whether it be a situation or a condition. A lot of times when stories are not successful with that, they, they present it in such a heightened or underlined way. And I felt like one of the like kind of amazing strengths of let all restless creatures go was it has the power of an incredible anecdote in places in its information delivery in that if I was just being told this story in like, if you were to take it, so you took it from seven to four or whatever you did, if you were to take it down to 1200 and give me the beats of this story, I feel like, and, but still preserve the sentences that were like key information. I, I feel like I would utterly believe it just because the way some of the very specific details of the characters alopecia and all these things are being presented is just like life whereas i think so often we get tripped up on on something that the something like that I, it sounds like such a small thing but i think so often you see it really sink a story where it, it did just the opposite here mm-hmm. right you mean like it can become a sort of fetishization instead of yeah absolutely a fetishization or or even just you can tell that there maybe wasn't a story to tell that there was an idea to include a a particular detail, but here it just was not that way. So if anybody has not read that story and has something like that, that they're working with, I would absolutely suggest reading it. Thank you so much. That's really, that, that means a lot to me. I mean, I do think, you know, when I'm teaching ultimately, and I'm a pain in the ass when I'm teaching, but one, you know, and I'm pushing and, but constantly, I think I'm pushing about, you know, is this intrinsic to story, right? Mm-hmm. Is this intrinsic to characters is this intrinsic to story or is this authorial overlay, right? And, and mm-hmm. sort of calling out your own, getting in touch with your own bullshit meter and sort of calling out your own crap, I think is really important. And I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people can call out my own crap on this collection, but, but I, what I'm trying to do is right is make it so that it's integrated so that every Everything feels intrinsic to character, intrinsic to story. Yeah, um, totally. Doesn't feel, and doesn't feel exhibitionist. And, you know, we can get into other things, but that I'm hoping that it's not exhibitionist um, in that way. Definitely not. That word never came to my mind. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, something that we just talked, we just mentioned. Um, there's all the motherhood in the book. And, um, sort of this overarching feeling in that you're sort of planted, you're what the, the family needs or else, but then there's these surprising pivots that happen. Um, like in, Oh God, what is the name of the story? Beast something. Mm. Um, Oh, a beastly thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, which starts with the line, then Skylar says breastfeeding makes her horny. (laughs) That is a great story. And, um, just you know, spoiler, all of a sudden she starts having sex with her son, her child's friend's father, who's mm-hmm. like a little older than her. And he, he just says like, oh, sweet mama. At some point, it's like, there's just these wonderful, like there's major jerks. And then there's like minor jerks. And then there's just like wonderful humanity all throughout it. That is just really enjoyable. Um, but, but there's like these surprising pivots that the mothers make 
And, um, and maybe I'm the jerk for thinking it's surprising that a mother could, could make those pivots. Um, but it seems really important. Um, and then the juxtaposition with the adolescence, which, um, in one story happens all in the same story and God's children, it happens all in the same story. Um, so I, I would love to hear you talk about like, what, what was, you know, your inspiration there when you were writing those stories, what were you searching for? Um, and you know, like what, what answers did you find? Oh, I don't know that I found any answers ever. Let me know if you find any answers. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> Please <send them> my way. <laughs> I'm looking for the answer. Um, no, but I do think, I mean, this goes back to, I mean, this is the whole Madonna whore complex. I mean, we cannot reconcile in Western civilization that women, that mothers are sexual beings. Like we cannot figure this out. We cannot reconcile it. It's, it's persistent. And yet, you know, how do we become mothers? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so, it's so to me, it's so ironic. And um, so, yeah, so I tried to dial into that. I mean, I think I had a lot of, I have a lot of clearly I have a lot of rage and a lot of frustration, but I think what I was trying, trying to assert and to the extent to which I do see these stories sort of as these, these existing as quiet rebellions within the construct of whatever the circumstances are, the various characters, you know, nobody's necessarily busting free or, you know, imploding their lives here, but they're trying to exercise some level of uh, agency, right? Within the yeah, right. Within their, within their um, confines. Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just this, it's just this gross irony, the ex- expectation that a woman becomes a mother and then becomes a vessel vessel for her children, right? Like she becomes completely empty of all desire of her own. And she becomes just sort of a lives to serve her children. And, 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 and I just think that's just so deeply false (laughs) and so problematic on so many levels. So that's what I was trying to explore, I guess, in a beastly thing. Um, And she, you know, like there's the moment where she, you know, like he, he starts drinking her milk (laughs) um before they before they have sex um and so it's it's like another way of like it's like I don't know it's it's like a a subversion but also it's okay I don't know I, I I struggle with it and I think about it a lot which I think is good um but yeah, I, I, I also don't have a question. It's just, it's just one of those moments that we're like, okay, you know, like <laughs> this is a choice or is it a choice? I don't know. Cause he, he kind of just takes it right. Um, what that he's, that he's turned on by her milk. Yeah. And then he just like starts drinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if she like offers it or whatever, but no, she's just leaking. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he just, happening? yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's okay because it was there for him to take, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, there's such a double standard, which we, I mean, we can talk about that all day long, but right, I mean, sure. Yeah, he takes it, he takes it, she gives it. She's, you know, what she takes for herself is is so little, um, and but, but she does take from him. And mm-hmm. in, in terms of this, this overarching, you know, the, again, and this is what my, my novel is coming out in October is same, same theme, I guess I just, you know, we own our shit and we just, you know, explore it over and over again. But this question about predation and like the, 
the predatory nature of, of humanity, right? So what is what does she what does she take from him? What does he take from her? Um, yeah, what is her role in that? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's constantly interesting. It's infinitely interesting to me. Um, and I don't know, maybe someday I'll outgrow it, but doesn't seem like I'm not growing it any days. <laughs> no, anyway. same. And you know, like I, I keep hearing about like, oh, there's just too many motherhood you know, every motherhood is everywhere. Motherhood, motherhood, motherhood. It's just too much. And I could fucking read it all day long. I just, I love it so much. I feel like it is, <laughs> how can it not be intrinsic, intrinsic to our every, you know, emotion practically. Right. Um, as people. And yet at the same time, how frustrating, right? How I know. As I'm saying that, like, oh, um, this is a story about motherhood. Like, fuck that. It's not a story about motherhood. It's right. About- Right. Who has to have these babies that are leached to her, and like she has all these other desires, right? And she wants yes. to have life, and so, and yet it becomes categorized as such, and it's a motherhood story, and therefore feels somewhat taboo because she's sexualized, right? So it yeah. it, it, it 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 takes on this whole thing. Yep. Um, and I think, I mean, that's when Lindsay and I had talked a lot about this specifically with. with when on when one of the novels recently Lindsay wrote when on submission so you were hearing that right Lindsay I mean that yeah. was and I think you and I talked about like there's no way what they're actually saying and what they actually mean is there's too many you know novels about motherhood it's just like it's either misogyny or it is it's something else but like to actually have that as it's bizarre because like you said Yes. Okay. Maybe there's a mother in the book, but to say that it is about motherhood is, is fucking crazy. I mean, give me a break. Books are about a myriad of things always. So, I mean, it's a cop out. Yeah. If anything, motherfuckers, that novel was about divorce. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I put that novel, in your pipe. I want to read that novel. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you can, you're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Check your email. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's this winnowing down, right? We're so quick to categorize. We're so quick to put yeah. in boxes. We're so quick to say that this it's about this one thing. And it's about, and when we're put in that box and we're told that it's about this one thing, that's what we have to slam our fists against over. Yeah. And, and it's over. it's so easy to turn the word mom into an insult, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and we do it all the time. I do it. I do it to myself. Um and, you know, and there's, oh, there's repercussions for that. You know, there's consequences for that. Um, there's, you know, like, I don't want to be taken too seriously, but I want to be taken seriously, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Um, yeah. The other day I said to my six-year-old, I'm a person. Okay. And I was like, oh God, <laughs> I, right. I need to talk to somebody else about this. Right. Um, and so here you are. <laughs> Here we are all together on a Saturday night. Yeah. There you go. Sarah, were there collections that you were, th- I mean, you said that the, the genesis of this project was, you know, kind of transgressing on working on a, a novel, but were there collections as you were putting together jerks that you were looking to either for structural inspiration or even in a more granular way, just like some of these stories, did you have stories that you were kind of, thinking about as you were drafting any of these or what did you not really approach the project that way um and i love that question thank you alex i i am so well two parts first of all yeah so this was not such a conscious project this was again 
um, procrastination. But once I had, once I had written the short story jerks and got that published, I thought, God damn it. If I ever write another collection, I'm totally naming a jerk. So that was kind yeah. of spring. <laughs> spring in the back of my head. And I then, but I think it's a really, I love this question because it's one thing to have a bunch of short stories and it's another thing to have a collection that's cohesive and that all sort of resonates, um, you know, and then speaks to each other in, mm-hmm. in juxtaposition and in accrual and that, and that, and that, you know, kind of works. And so I, I do think that there are, I mean, there are so many short story collections that I love that do that. Um, I'll just shout out a few, but, um, uh, you know, Rebecca Schiff's The Bed Moved is mm-hmm. so cohesive. I love that. And it's so tight and small. Nina McConaughey's, um, uh, Cowboys and East Indians, I think is again, also super, super tight. Um, and they all, they all fit together so well. And it's, and it's looking at like how the beats, you know, you might have a prevalent theme. You mean, I'm sure you do have a prevalent theme, but you know, how are the stories sort of, um, riffing off of that theme and sort of advancing it from different angles. So you're not just hitting it from the same beat, right. Um, Danielle Lazarin's collection back talk I think does that really well and um oh, oh gosh Margaret Malone's collection um people like you do you know that book it's really no. oh my oh my god she's so good Margaret Malone's people like you it's really really tight um and again it's it's so much so much emotional restraint but the stories knit together so beautifully and um yeah, I mean, so I would, I don't know that they were influencing me, but I definitely was paying attention to collections that I think work really well as a collection and say something as a whole, as opposed to some collections that are just collected stories and feel mm-hmm. sort of more, um, just, you know, looser um, in, the, in their arrangement. Mm-hmm. Did you, how were you thinking about arranging this collection? Um, well, I, Again, so I, the the last story of the collection, the Polish girl, was the last story I wrote. And once Ooh. I, yeah, so once I wrote that one, I knew that I had the end, um, and I knew that I had the beginning. And again, there's sort of, I mean, there's you can kind of see the accrual. I mean, it's some, and I don't want to say it's totally chronological because it's not, but I do have, you know, the initial story is sort of, the, you know, the sexual awakening, the sort of adolescent girl, right, and and. <laughs> early exposure to the deception of men um, and her own, and not only the deception of men, but the predation of within her own bunk, right? This whole idea of mm-hmm. cannibalism and survival, you know, and, and how we, um, you know, <laughs> take advantage of one another and so forth. But um, so I knew I had, the, I had the beginning and the end. And then I just tried to look closely at, um, again, how they were speaking to each other um, in a crew, you know, in, 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 uh, both next to one another and an accrual. So um, that was, that was sort of how it all fell out. And then of course I took out a bunch of stories as well. <laughs> give me that. Give me those stories. Give me the, give me the, like the, the beefy jerks. The, the beefy jerks, the ones that yeah. landed on the cutting room floor. I know it's, it's, I have a bunch of stories. I mean, some, they didn't, and a bunch of them didn't, I thought maybe I would put them in my first collection and they didn't, I think, you know, it is. And I like these stories. I mean, maybe I shouldn't say I like them because, you know, who likes their work? I don't know that I really would ever say that I like my work, but, um, but the extent, you know, um, but I think that they hold as stories, but, but the problem with them is that they just, they hit the same note, 
right? So they're not introducing anything new or anything necessarily different than what I have. And I think you have to be sort of merciless um, in that regard and um, just, you know, kill those babies if they're not, if they're not advancing. <laughs> Die. Cold, cold heart. I've got a cold, cold heart. Sarah, you, uh, you described your comfort zone as being in in within short stories or shorter work and yet you have a novel coming out soon can you tell us a little bit about um how you how you transitioned into like a novel a novelistic mindset and just process wise how was that for you um not fun (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, I mean, this is, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier with you all about how I really feel like the story sort of dictates a length and sort of a, in a real sort of um, instinctive way. And you just kind of, for me, at least, I feel like I have a gut sense of the story that I want to tell of where it's going to fall. And so many, many years ago, I had this idea for, um, for a story that felt long to me. Um, but I really didn't know what I was doing. And again, I think this is one of, I mean, this is a fault of my own for sure. I'll shoulder that, but also, I mean, I think MFA programs, they teach you, they teach you the short story maybe, but it's really hard to, at least my MFA program, which was a million years ago, I'm rather old, but we never learned novel craft whatsoever. Mm. And so, um, it was a real, it was a real significant leap for me and, And um, it took me a really long time. And I Mm. learned a shit ton about novel writing. And of course, I learned a lot about myself as well (laughs) (laughs) in the process. But um, but yeah, it was not, you know, and now I mean, now I'm I'm excited to be working on on another project that's of novel length, but um, it's not a natural space for me, which is, I guess, Mm. all the more reason for me to want to claw at it and try to try to do it because um, it's a real challenge for me. I think partly, you know, as again, to go back to the whole motherhood trope, I think early on when I first conceived of this idea for the novel that's finally making its way um, this fall, my kids were still pretty young and it, it was it was hard. I don't know if you find this. I mean, Lindsay and Alex, both of you with young, you know, you both have still have really young kids. My kids are now much older. They're in teenagers and they don't, you know, they don't give a shit about me anymore at all. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, no, I I They're amazing. But, but um, it's, it's just, you know, the demands have shifted so much. So I have, I have much more time um, to focus on, on a sustained narrative. But in, and when I was first thinking about this novel and chewing on it, I mean, time was, pretty much non-existent. So Matt, the idea of, you know, stealing, stealing your moments um, and going back in, it, it's just, it's just so much easier for me at least to be writing short stories in that space. It was really sort of logistically challenging to try to stretch out a novel um, to try to sit with a sustained narrative um, as well. So um, I don't know. I think I lost, I'm sorry. I'm having, more no, no. I lost your question. How no, no, <laughs> no, you're good. No, okay. it's just, I, cause I can really, I, I, I think, you know, several years ago, I would have described myself the same way where it's like, you know, I definitely feel more comfortable with stories, rather write stories. But then this last novel that I wrote, um, it took me five years, you know, to kind of get it all the way. And my brain shifted. And it's like now 
I'm, I'm thinking in more novel terms, I feel like, and it's harder for me to sit down and write something short, which is wild because before I feel like all I was thinking about was short stories, but a lot of it too. And this is the other question I wanted to ask as a follow-up to that was my reading changed so much as a result of, you know, working on a novel project for so long that I was pretty much only reading novels. Did your reading change while you were working on Letch or were you still kind of into the the same type of stuff in the same grooves you were before? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to go back to what you said before, which was that sort of once you, once you start flexing that muscle over time, then that's kind of what you want to do. And I Mm -hmm. find the same way, like right now, um, again, like I feel like a hypocrite. I'm teaching, I mean, I'm, I'm teaching shorts. I teach a short story. I teach flash fiction, but I haven't really been writing it right now because my interest really, um, my interest is in the novel. And it's, I think it's such a, it presents such a unique challenge, one that's different than the challenges that flash fiction presents or that short stories present. Right. And so because it's not natural to me, it's kind of the space that I want to inhabit. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so what, when I was working on, when I was working on the novel over many, many, many goddamn years, um, <laughs> I really did try. I was trying, you know, um, I was trying not to read so many short story collections because I was for all those reasons. And I was trying to sort of teach myself, um, stru- you know, structure and how to, you know, this the novel that's coming out is five different points of view and whatever. Uh, I created a whole lot of problems for myself. And so how to how to solve those problems. And so I was really trying to trying to read novels, but, but, um, but then I cheat on that too, because I guess I'm just transgressive by nature. Um, (laughs) So, yeah. Um, Do you think that it's, it's five different points of view because it sort of scratches the itch of like shorter fiction does, you know, like it's, it's you're able to like jump around to these perspectives in a way that like your flash fiction and your short stories allowed you to do as well. So it kind of kept you, because I find myself doing the same thing when I'm writing novels is like, well, this will be from the perspective of uh, 20 to 25 different people, and then I'll have a novel. <laughs> well, I mean, again, you know, whatever I've done, this is for readers, you know, the two I mean, listeners out there, whatever I've done, you should do the exact opposite. Do not. Um, but yeah, I think it, I think that's correct. I think it probably did grow out of that, you know, that restlessness that I have. Um, the fifth point of view actually was, was an 11th hour addition. It, it was four points of view, but they did steadily start. I think it, it started at two points of view and then it started to just con- it fracture and, and kind of expand. But at one point I have a really good girlfriend who's wonderful. She's a poet, songwriter, Karen Pittleman. Karen, I love you if you're listening. Um, and she read the manuscript, um, in early stages, and she astutely diagnosed it with um, what she called storyitis. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, so 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 yeah. So I did have, you know, I had to kind of, um, I had to treat that um, chronic illness, which I think will will always live inside me. Um, How did you treat it? What did you do? I mean, I think it's you know, it's this is you know, looking at those looking at narrative tension, looking at how to advance the story, looking at like understanding that what we think of as sort of the resonant takeaways of a short story don't necessarily resonate in the same level, same way when you're dealing with a novel, right? And so that you need to kind of keep pushing ahead. Um, And so uh, I have a tendency, and maybe this is kind of what you were getting at earlier, Lindsay, with the mosaic, like I, I can, I, 
I like to write sort of cir circular or somewhat claustrophobic narratives where the beginning and the end don't necessarily look all that different, but that's really frustrating place for the reader to be and um, doesn't work so well for, for a novel. So um, trying to sort of break those patterns um, was key to kind of opening it up for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I can so relate to what you're both saying because I there was a time that I thought I would never write a novel. I just didn't feel capable of it. Um, and now, like you're saying, Alex, it's it's like a challenge for me to um to to write something short, you know? Yeah. I mean, you wrote two novels last year. I know. I it's like I can't I I, I that's that's how my that's how I think now. And I, I yeah. like the, there was so long that I I just believe that that wasn't in me, that it's wild to now be like, no, 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 let's go back to our roots. Let's, mm -hmm. you know. Wait, can we just pause for a second? Because that's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> what is you wrote, two you wrote two novels in a year, Lindsay? Last year. But think about last year. <laughs> wait, you yeah. wait, can you, can we just pause and can you <laughs> tell us all of your wisdom right now? <laughs> I, um, you know what? I was on something. I don't know. I, um, I had a fire under my ass. There were the, the first one was, um, was just something that I really wanted to write. And, and I was, I had a sick dog who would get up really early in the morning to, to go out and pee. And then, um, I would just sit with her in the early mornings downstairs and just do my writing until my kids woke up. And, um, and then I would do writing like, in the parking lot of my kid's school. I just, it felt like something I, I was like, I had to do. I just, it was, um, it, yeah. So it was an imperative. And then the second, the second novel, I, it was a complete rewrite of my motherhood slash divorce, not divorce novel, hoping that maybe someone would like it then. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I just, and now I, I, um, I, I don't, I don't have, I don't know if I don't have as much time as I did, but I just, I, I think I burned myself out a little bit. Um, and like what you were saying, Sarah, about when your kids were little and how you realized, like, I just don't have the time. Like maybe you had the time, but you didn't have the, the, the space in your brain. Right. And, and that's how I feel right now is that I have, I, um, I needed, I need to rest now. Um, and so like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to write a little bit on this other thing that I've started and I will. Mm -hmm. But then part of me is also like, no, 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 it's okay to rest. It's okay to just, you know, take a break, yeah. which is really scary. Cause I never have done that. I have never been that person. It's always, I've always written. I've always had some kind of project I'm working on. So it feels like rebellious against myself, which is cool, but also scary. <laughs> Well, as, as the queen slacker over here, who's taken, you know, many, many years off of writing and never thought that, you know, I would go back to it. I, I do, maybe this is just some gross rationalization, but I believe strongly in the fallow period. I'm all, yeah, totally. I'm all about the fallow. So I mean, I've earned it, you especially know, especially after having written two books in sort of a fever in, in yeah. rapid succession. I mean, that's, you, like, you know, to give yourself the space around the work and to kind of feed that, you know, feed the well and, and let it kind of refill, I think is such a, such a generosity that you can do for yourself and for, 
um, for your work as well. And then of course it's going to come, you know, it's going to come because it's always there and it's not, you know, but you, I think that's amazing. I mean, that's amazing. I want what she's having. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so close. I'm so close, Knockwood, to all three of my kids being in school. Like my daughter, she's going to be four. So she's going to go to um, pre-K four in the fall. I'm so close to having more time and like more quiet, you know, like more like able to hear myself. Um, And I think that's really what's like, that's what goes away when you have so many goddamn kids. (laughs) It's just like. It's the constant interruption. It's the inability. I mean, at least for me, it was the inability to complete a thought in my head, much less a thought on paper. And so, um, yeah, I mean, again, that's where I sort of cleave to flash fiction because at least I could do maybe, you know, I couldn't do, I couldn't do 5,000 words. I couldn't do 40,000 words. I couldn't do 70,000 words, but I could do maybe, you know, 500 or 750. Mm -hmm. So that was, that felt like a, a small, a small good thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. For me. Yeah. Um, and I, I like, I've been feeling all this anxiety and I realized, oh, my anxiety is stemming from the fact that I'm trying to do things when I know I don't have time to do them. Mm-hmm. And it's such a simple thing. You know, it's such a simple realization just to be like, oh, I'm freaking out because I actually don't have the resources to do that. Okay. You know, and, but it takes a while to get there. Um, so I'm just letting myself do that. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. 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 And I'm like reading like a crazy person. I'm just always reading. So it's like one of the, I'm just in another phase of my life. Yeah. It's amazing how much you, well, how much you both have to read for this show, let alone, you know, for pleasure. Are you reading good things for pleasure? I do. Yeah, I do. I do both. Yeah. Alex um, introduced me to uh, books on audio. So Mm. that's been huge. Um, For a while I was in like the just the bottom dregs of true crime, true crime podcasts, <laughs> just like, just utter trash. Like someone like whispering under the covers <laughs> or something like nothing good because I had listened to all the good ones. And then I realized like, Oh, I can listen to true crime books <laughs> and that's been wonderful. So I'm, I'm in the middle of that and not reading, reading for the podcast and whatever else I can get in. Did I ever yeah. tell you my, uh, my, my favorite murder story, Lindsay? No. Okay. So did you ever listen to that one? I, you know what? I cannot get into that one. And I know everyone Fair. loves totally. it. No, I no, no. know it's beloved. Zero. No, whatever. So Brit and I both used to listen to it. This is, you know, maybe five, six years ago when it was like really popular. I feel like, cause it was, there was a period where I feel like everyone was listening to it. Yeah. I think and, it's super, I think it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And so they had a live show here in, when we lived in the city, when we were in Chicago and uh, we're like, let's go. So we get in there and they come out and they're telling these stories about real murders and everybody's cheering. And I kind of like look at Brit and she looks at me like halfway through and we're like, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you like, serious? Swear to God. And we, and we left. And, 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 and I don't mean like, I do not mean that from a moral high ground place because I'm a complete fucking asshole and it doesn't matter. But when you're in, when you're in the room and you're hearing it, it's just like, you know, you have the realization like, God damn, like this, this can't really be entertainment for me right now. I don't know. That's what Sarah is thinking right now, being on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) 
Totally. Uh, no, no, we're teasing. Uh, um, but yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I just like got sh- like someone shook me awake and I was like, holy fuck. All right. Can't do it. That's such a great story that you guys have now, like in your marriage, you know, where it's just like you guys were totally on the same page at the you exact remember that moment. one time we were on the same page. Yeah, we have that. We will never not have that. Had, it's going to we're going to have it forever. <laughs> Ah, oh, um, anyway, I cannot wait for Lech. It's coming out when? October. October. It comes out on Tortoise. Hi, Jerry. Tortoise. Hi, Jerry. That's right. That's right. Alex, you're a tortoise. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Jerry is the one guest that we ever had on our pod where I forgot to press record. <sighs> it was and brutal. I, oh, my God. my dreams to this day. We felt like absolute dog shit. It was a really good conversation too. It so. was. He'll come back. Yeah. He'll come back. He's, you know what? I have, I have to, I mean, big shout out to Jerry because he's, he does the job of like 10 people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He does. He's a it's great guy. He loves it. You know, like he, he absolutely loves it. Yeah, yeah. He's just like in everything on the, mm-hmm. on the line and on the design and ever. I mean, he's just, he's, he's an animal and yeah. um, I, I feel really grateful to be working with him. It's so, it's so interesting to be, you know, I've been now with um, a bunch of different small presses and everybody has their, their style. And, and uh, anyway, it's, 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 it's fun being with, um, you know, J- Jerry's uh, got some good energy. So and in the meantime, he wrote like a 750 page novel yeah. <laughs> yeah, that he had to do like all this research for. I know. So I want what he's having too. Yeah. He just doesn't sleep, I guess. Yeah. Um, we really love talking to you. Thanks for love jerks. Thank you so much. Yeah. These stories are great. This was a treat. I appreciate it so much. Um, I adore you both and, uh, have a great night. Yes. You too. Cannot wait for your next book and keep going on this other novel. That's driving you nuts. Yes. So much, and I can't wait to read both of your novels that you wrote in a year. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Yeah, I loved this book. I it's um, like she said, Mason Jar Press. You know, they publish shorter on the shorter side. So there's absolutely no fat. It's full of um, sudden sex. Yeah, it's funny and beautiful. And um, you'll just want to display it in your home because the cover is so wonderful. And the cover is by Ian Anderson. Good job, Good Ian. Good job, Ian. Good job, Mason Jar Press. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Um, Have you ever paused or not paused, muted so that you could burp? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I've... <laughs> The main, the main, I usually mute so I could open another beer. Mm. Yeah. So I read Jerks. I'm listening to a true crime book by the Mind Hunter guy. Oh. And let me tell you, Mason Jar Press could show him a thing or two because he needed to trim like the last <laughs> six chapters off this thing. When you say the Mind Hunter guy, do you mean the guy who wrote? the book mind hunter is there a yeah. book mind hunter i think it is yeah i think it is a book okay. called mind hunter but he also wrote a bunch of other books including this one which is called uh when a killer calls which is about okay. um this idiot who killed some people and um but now it's just like the minutiae of the trial is it john like, e douglas is that who we're talking about i think it's john douglas he, he writes him okay. with this other guy but i think it's john who's the 
who's the guy. Okay. Um, but I'm also reading Empire of Pain mm-hmm. by Patrick Radden Keefe, which is about the Keep Purdue. Keep hearing about this book, yeah. Yeah, about OxyContin. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like, no wonder people don't trust the FDA or pharmaceutical companies or anything because all they ever did was lie about all of it. Mm. So I am wearing tinfoil on my head right now. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> That's a result I mean, of this book. Just anecdotally, my my OxyContin story is when I first started working at the grocery store almost 10 years ago, like within the first couple months, I, I threw my back out Ooh. and I went to a urgent care and that's what they gave me. Mm-hmm. And what year was that? 2013. Okay. 2012. Like just like 10 years ago. Um, now, so I threw my back out two years ago. And when you go in to, I went into a similar place. It wasn't the same one, but they give you nothing even close to that now. They just give you big like, ibuprofens, right? Yeah, honestly. And, and, you know, recommend like hot, cold or whatever, but yeah, I mean, even I remember thinking it was so great. I mean, even like 10 years ago, I was like, you're going to give me what? It's like- no, they did. They, for both my C-sections and the surgery I had after Judith, they gave me oxycodone, which is oxycodone. Yeah. Right. And I, I took it once after that's what they gave me codone, not yeah. 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 Codeine or whatever or whatever. Yeah. Not yeah. Yeah. They, and I took it, um, once I took, I took my one dose of it after Towns was born and it was so strong that like I threw up, it was like crazy how right. like immediately I was like completely bewildered. So I stopped taking it after that. And, but they still were prescribing it back then. Crazy. And it's crazy. I'm excited. Cause I'm going to read, is it called the apology by Christian Tabordo? Mm-hmm. He's coming on it, by next the way. Week. Thank you. Oh, yes. good. Yeah, I'm excited to read Christian's book and talk to him mm-hmm. next week. He's always really fun. Yeah, Christian's great. And a total like badass. Although I think if he heard me say he was a badass, he'd be like, ugh, shut up. He's an original. He's definitely himself. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't really have anything else. I can't think of anything. Empty brain. Okay. Well, we don't have to push it, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> So I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm a Writer Butt is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.